Good day and welcome to Overdrive, a program that ponders the purpose of cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have a road test of the Polestar 2, which has recently been upgraded. And we have one interview where we catch up with our Melbourne correspondent, Chris, who has gone for a very cost-effective van with a bit of modifications to do a bit of camping. And also he has had some recent experiences of overseas transport systems. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or the social sites at podcasts, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Look for Cars, Transport and Culture. This program was originally broadcast on the 11th of November 2023. Polestar is an organisation that evolved out of the Volvo car company to create performance vehicles. It now produces only electric vehicles and is owned by a Chinese company, but strives to maintain a European feel. In Australia, it is seen very much as a competitor for Tesla. Hertz will rent either one of these vehicles in its push to offer electrification options. Polestar does not have nearly as many sales as Tesla, and I think it deserves better. We've just taken out the latest Polestar 2, the one car that they have on sale at the moment in Australia, and we took it to a cars and coffee show held each month at St Ives. Unfortunately, it was washed out, but there were still a few die-hard fanatics who turned up, which gave us the chance for a detailed chat about this vehicle. The conversation was more than just the initial responses to electric vehicles. It was a more timely conversation of where they fit into the market. The Polestar 2 was first sold in Australia in 2020, and they have now released an upgrade. It's a medium-sized sedan. Sedans in Australia have been declining significantly overall, having been swamped by SUVs and, to some extent, by utes. But prestige medium-sized sedans have shown very strong increases in sales in 2023, principally because of the rise in Tesla models that have only recently been included in the sales numbers. New players such as Polestar and improved supply would also be helping prompt this increase. The Tesla Model 3 is dominating this segment with over 50% of the category sales for medium-sized sedans above $60,000. While Polestar is in a credible fourth place, however, Tesla is outselling them by more than 8 to 1. The all-electric Hyundai Ioniq 6, that is a very efficient car, but has very polarising looks, and that's down in 11th place in this category. Polestar distinguishes its variants within this Model 2 by a choice of one of two batteries and either two or all-wheel drive. There's a 69-kilowatt-hour battery that is only available in the entry-level model with two-wheel drive. That's not small and fairly close to what Hyundai and Kia models offer at the moment. The long-range battery of 82 kilowatt-hours is available with two-wheel drive or all-wheel drive or an all-wheel drive performance package. Chasing Tesla in sales does mean having good performance while still mentioning the environment. Emphasising a good driving feel and performance has meant that the two-wheel drive version of the Polestar 2 has changed from front-wheel drive to rear-wheel drive. All, or a lot of the power to the rear wheels, speaks of keen driving, even with the possibility of drifting. 
Kia has used this feature, particularly in its advertising, for its EV6 GT, which has won at least one Performance Car of the Year award. In the Polster 2, they have developed a new electric motor, which has a power output for the model we tested of 220 kilowatts, an increase of over 20% on the previous 170 kilowatts. Torque has now been increased significantly from 330 newton metres to 490 newton metres. They say that they have also increased the amount of power for charging the vehicles, which can take up to 205 kilowatts for the long-range batteries and 135 kilowatts for the standard-range battery. This has led, they say, to the Polestar 2 now being able to travel 22% further, consume up to 9% less energy and charge up to 34% faster thanks to the larger batteries in the new motor. When we picked up the test car, we had a two-wheel drive large battery version. With a full charge in it, it said that it had 530 kilometres of range. Now, it's been rated at up to 655 kilometres of range, but it does depend on who has been driving the car up until that point. The ranges for each variant are rated at a maximum of 546 for the smaller battery, 655 for the large battery but two-wheel drive, 593 for the large battery and all-wheel drive, and 568 for the large battery performance all-wheel drive. Emphasising its environmental credentials, Polestar says its Model 2 has, since it was first delivered in 2020, continually reduced its cradle-to-grave carbon footprint. The exterior of the car looks sophisticated rather than garish. It doesn't have the excessive bling, nor is it as gawky-looking as a Tesla. Possibly the most striking feature is a tail-light strip that extends right across the back of the car, making it stand out at night. Its relatively simple elegance is shown in its logo, which is like two angular boomerangs meeting tip-to-tip at 180 degrees. This greatly impressed our artist-in-resonance, Dean Oliver, and a number of other motoring enthusiasts. The interior has a mixture of materials which look mature without trying to be over-flashy, but I particularly like the human-machine interface with the two digital screens. In front of the driver, the screen was not complicated in the information it conveyed, which made, among other things, using satellite navigation with the map and instructions in front of the driver, easy and not overwhelming. Similarly, the centre infotainment screen did not have a plethora of small and obscure symbols. Some of the most frequently used controls were set out with each having a large 2 inch by 1 inch rectangular area that could select the function if you touched any part of that area and it had a clear symbol of what it represented. This avoided the need for pinpoint accuracy which can leave you stabbing and missing at a control particularly if you're driving. doesn't have a head-up display which is a little disappointing. Then again Tesla's information is all in a centre screen which, to my mind, maximises distraction. The Polestar has its own communication chip to access things such as YouTube and Netflix. The subscription is paid for as long as the warranty lasts, I believe. This means the Polestar 2 passes one of the more recent 
road test desirable features in that you can watch a movie, long features or a series of social media content while you sit waiting for the car to charge. The comfort of the interior is certainly focused on the two front occupants with features such as heated and cooled seats which are electronically adjustable. The rear seats do not offer a great deal of space and someone noted that there were a couple of sharp structural features that would catch your feet if you were sitting in the back and put your feet under the seats in front of you. Clearly this is not a car made for people who are likely to be wearing thongs as footwear. The seatbelt anchorage points also rattled a bit in the back. The confined area in the second row of seats is greatly helped by an optional sunroof which extends the whole length of the roof. It is made of anti-glare glass but there is no full blind to totally shut off the sunlight. Polestar says the highly engineered glass cuts out 99.5% of UV radiation and, they continue to say, helps to maintain the optimal cabin temperature. Our objective response from our experience was that it didn't appear to get abnormally hot in the car after it had been sitting in the sun. Oh, by the way, that optional extra package, which includes a better sound system, costs $6,000. Driving the vehicle is easy with that wonderful feeling of an electric car that gives instant throttle response and very good performance. I was conscious of slightly elevated road noise, perhaps because there was no engine noise to speak of, and this was particularly at lower speeds, a little bit more than, say, the Peugeot E2008 electric vehicle, and some passengers found the ride to be rather firm so that you particularly felt the bumps. Nonetheless, it did tour relatively quietly. The reduced maintenance effort needed for an electric vehicle was shown when I checked the infotainment screen and found that the recommended next service was in 627 days or 24,210 kilometres. The vehicle does give you a choice of a number of operating features, but you have to be aware of what has been chosen, perhaps by the previous driver. An example was the cruise control, which in the base model has two options, off and standard, but if you get the $3,500 pilot package, that includes adaptive cruise control. Now there's a little symbol on the screen in front of the driver that can indicate which one you are using, and you can choose any one of the three if you have that option. But again, you need to know exactly what those symbols mean. I started using cruise control and realised that it was not on the adaptive setting. I would have preferred to know that or to be clearly told about that before I started driving. The vehicle does take Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, but you need to have a cable and it has to be a USB-C connection. Now the screens in front of the driver and the centre infotainment screen may indicate two different ranges. One is what they call the standard range and the other is the projected range based on real-time driving conditions which respond to speed, driving style and climbing. When I first saw this difference and hadn't changed the settings to be consistently one or the other, there was a 70 kilometre difference in range depending on which screen you were looking at, which is quite significant. The reversing cameras were good in daylight conditions, but not good in car park areas and in wet and night conditions, making parking in those situations far more stressful. 
It's a nice big clear clock that makes setting the time for charging to be rather easy, although it is a 12-hour clock, and you have to be careful to do two circles to get to either the morning or evening period, depending on where it was when you started. An indication that Polestar is making the distinction between variants to be strongly based on the powertrain is that driver awareness features are now standard across the range. And that includes blind spot information system with steering support, cross traffic alert with brake support and rear collision warning and mitigation, along with a 360 degree surround view camera and automatic dimming exterior mirrors. The wireless phone charger is now also standard on all variants. Pricing starts from 61300 plus on-road costs, which can vary via the state that's a two-wheel drive with a smaller battery. You add $4,000 to get the longer battery, an additional $5,000 on top of that to get a dual motor, and an additional $9,000 on top of that to get the dual motor with the performance pack. That makes an $18,000 difference between the various models. And the packages include the pilot pack, as I mentioned, $3,500, the Plus Pack, better sound, panoramic roof, and the Performance Pack comes with 20-inch multi-spoke forged alloy wheels and chassis tuning. So in conclusion, I like the Polestar 2. It's not overstated in its looks, but it is cleverer and mature. It has a grown-up appearance, including a great logo. It has class-leading features in the human-machine interface, as well as connectivity to streaming services. It's up there with the front runners in terms of performance and range, although it's not as quick in fast charging as perhaps some vehicles. But then again, there are currently few charging stations that can offer that sort of power anyway. There are a few quirky features in operating it, but it is very good at getting used to in the short term. The real test in this regard is if you are sitting stationary and trying out a few things, it's not hard to remember how to get back to something you tried a few minutes ago. The Polestar 2 is taking electric vehicles in the direction of being credible alternatives to internal combustion engines. You're listening to Overdrive. About nine months ago, we met a bloke who had restored a Nissan Figaro, a little bubble car, that looks a bit like the sort of vehicle Noddy would drive. But his other job was importing grey imports from Japan, particularly those that have been decked out to help people with disabilities. Large people mover sized vehicles. Apparently that uh, opportunity to get a good car uh, should not be overlooked. He said at the time, the models we were getting fully imported into Australia were fairly base models, whereas the ones from Japan had a lot more features. We have an example of that. Our good friend Chris Ledbeater from uh, Melbourne and a Jaguar fan, but has moved into another area. He joins us now. G'day, Chris. Going, David. Very well, thank you. Now, you've bought what? Well, <clears throat> we bought an El Grand 2016. And the L Grand was uh, already Australian compliance uh, that had been done by the dealer. It cost uh, $16,000, which I thought was a pretty good deal. And a lot of people out there 
who uh, own Elgrands, and there are a lot of them around the world, would know what I'm talking about. This is a large SUV, uh, almost van, isn't it? It's yes. a van type thing, built by Nissan, but it, it was a few years old now, but came from Japan. What sort of, was it a base model or what? No, it was the Highway Star, and the Highway Star is hardly a van. It's, it's a luxurious, large people mover. It had eight uh, passenger seats. All the seats are high quality leather. They all recline. Uh, the front seats have heated seats. Uh, the driver's seat is all fully electric. It has twin air conditioning facilities, one for the back, one for the front. I could go on. There's a list of things you could go on with them. They're very 3.6 litre V6. Excellent motor. The, the seats actually look oldie worldy elegant in a way, like you'd get in an old Rover. Exactly. In fact, they're, they're, they're that sort of high quality, you know, you sit in, you feel like in a boardroom sort of stuff, <laughs> you know. And uh, in fact, uh, before I started thinking, the, the whole object of this was to turn it into a camper. Mm. Um, but the, before I did that, I drove it for oh, a good six months. And uh, of course, picking up the grandchildren, as I do on a Wednesday, um, they loved it. Loved it. And they'd get in the back seats and they would just be luxurious, sort of seated. And they thought it was fantastic that Grandpa was way up the front of the, the car and they were at the back. <laughs> and when I told them I was going to take the back seats out, they begged me not to take the back seats out. We've always found grandchildren love big vans. Now, you're taking the back seats out. Why? Okay, so in the El Grand... Um, uh, most of them, uh, not just the Highway Star, the centre row seats actually swivel 180 degrees and can go back. So if you can just visualise, once the back seats are removed, which is a very easy task, and they're very easy to put back in. This is the third row. Yeah, if yep. you've got any competency with a spanner, you can do it. Um, no, this is the, 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 yes, the third row, the back seats, yes. So once they're out and the seats are swiveled, the centre row seats are swiveled and pushed back, you've basically got the whole van from the driver's seats, passenger seat front, right back to the end of the van. Yeah. Big enough to lie down in. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And that's your intent, isn't it? You, you want to go camping. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what we want to do. So... Uh, the other features of the van which are good for campers is it's got two uh, opening sliding doors, one on either side of the car plus the big opening back area. It's huge. And all, those doors are all electric, which is quite handy. And um, I searched online for a company that might be able to build inserts. I did think at one point of sort of doing it myself or doing it through some sort of camping shop. But I came across a company called Cata which is in here in New South Wales. Um, Spelt with a K. Spelt with a K, K-A-T-A, in Matraville. Of which we're not being sponsored no, by. No, we're not being sponsored by them. We are not sponsored. I just am mm. saying that because they're, they're... They're a good company, a little company, and not taking up a lot of space, but being very professional. Yeah, and their inserts are sensational, and you'll see those in the pictures if you put up uh, mm. those, Dave. So they managed to build the inserts in there, and if you can imagine... Uh, what happens is there's a slider over the seats, so the backs of the seats become the bed head and you've got the full length of the, of the bus. And then you 
if in the morning, you, if it was raining or in the morning you wanted to, you could put half of it back and you could use the swiveled seats to sit and eat breakfast or whatever you wanted to do. A made from timber, extra bit that like storage space and things of which you'll then put a mattress on top. That's right. You have two big slide outdoors. One is the kitchen or a kitchenette and the other is for big storage. Plus there's lots of little cubby holes all around it as well. Mm for little bits and pieces. And the fridge sort of sits uh, in between those two seats and the, the, the bed when it's pulled out goes over the top of it. Mm. But of course we've also got an annex and you can put the annex up on one side of the car and yeah. uh, that, that gives you more space. You inflate the annex? Yeah, it's an inflatable annex. It's, uh, you can get these. Uh, it's like a bouncy castle, is it? Well, <laughs> yes, but the walls aren't, they're thin walls. They're right. just, you know, okay. but the, you, you blow it up with a compressor. And you, you have to tie it down with, with ropes and pegs because yes, you don't want it to blow away. But uh, it's got a floor and uh, that, that, that goes on one side with the, op the opening door and you've got a sort of a, an access to, uh, yeah. to the annex. But you can also leave the annex in the caravan park and drive off. Absolutely, yeah. Zip her up and... Uh, Sounds it's a bit like a standalone no, extension. Yeah, exactly. And you can just drive off. The other thing I'd like to add is an annex, is a uh, pull-out shade. Yeah, yeah. So you could have a sort of a sit-out veranda, uh, which would be nice on the other side. Right. Yeah, um, yeah and uh, battery box and battery, uh, you know, the intelligent battery boxes they have now that uh, allow the car to charge the battery. Uh, the, it's car battery first and then the battery mm. and a solar panel and uh, away you go. I had an RV one time. The lovely thing about it is even if you don't stay overnight, you can go to a isolated or a nice lookout place or whatever and boil a kettle and... and Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I, will your first trips be short ones? Oh, yeah. Well, this was my... Well, I wanted to do it, but my wife also wanted to do this because she hadn't been camping. She'd spent right. a lot of her time overseas as a child and they just didn't go camping. So she's interested in in doing a bit of camping, but we'll start small. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be an experiment in a caravan park first, maybe down Gippsland Lake somewhere or somewhere like that. If you were to travel longer, you could, of course, spend a fair bit of time in the, you know, sleeping in the vehicle, but then hire an Airbnb for a night. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's the great advantage, I think, of a van. Unless you're a serious nomad yeah. who wants to stay months at a time, yeah. six months at a time out in the middle of the bush. If you just want that experience of being able to be in the bush sometimes just without caravan park and cook on a fire and do some things like that. But also you've got the advantage that once it's all packed up, it's, it's a, just like the size of a station wagon, just taller. You can go to an Airbnb, you can go to a motel, you can drive yes. into a supermarket, even underground car parks. You've got a flexibility there that, that yeah. perhaps caravans don't necessarily give you. Your uh, early youth uh, had a fair bit of camping in it, didn't it? Was that as sophisticated as you're doing now? No. <laughs> so we had a... We had a canvas tent that was well, it looked huge when I was a kid, but when I saw it later on in life, it was not much bigger than this room we're in now. And uh, which it, you divided into it, four. four, yeah, for mum and dad and nan and and the kids. And it it had no floor, and in fact, uh, you had to dig a trench around it to stop the water coming underneath <laughs> if it rained badly. And then we thought we were fantastic when we got an annex that was the kitchen. <laughs> 
and you lived out of an esky that you you know you had ice in it and had a little screw yeah. uh, outlet at the bottom to let the water out. Yes, of course. And uh, we had a primer stove. Does anybody remember those pumping up metho stoves or yes. whatever they ran on? And a light the same. It was a little bit more agricultural, yeah. <laughs> But you would spend a long Christmas holidays with yeah. your grandmother looking after you yeah. while, while your parents kept working. Yeah, they did. They'd come down. It was at Geary Beach, actually. This is yeah. south of Sydney, about 40, 50 k. Sutherland National Park. And uh, mum and dad would drive back and Nan would take care of us. We were there for six weeks at a time. It was fine. We just spent the entire day uh, with a mate. I'd comb the, the bush for bottles because we could get you know, uh, six but sixpence or threepence. Sixpence, yeah. I can't remember. Back for a few bottles. Yeah. And my sisters are spending time at the beach, and I'd go down to the beach. So it was a, you know, it was a good little community. Of course, we did we did hanker after the caravans that were in the site. <laughs> Luxury. Yeah, we got invited to dinner a couple of times. So maybe they had pity on us in the in the, the working class tent. <laughs> Yeah, the luxury. Well, of course, now it's a huge business. Uh, some of them are very, very big. But, but, but you'll dabble in it. You never know. You may end up as a grey nomad, but if when you upgrade. Maybe. <laughs> if we win the lottery, maybe. You know. We'll come back after the break and talk about uh, the other side of travelling, uh, the elegant sort of trip around Europe. We'll come and talk about that then. Okay. So we're back with Chris. And Chris, you've just been on a bit of a world tour, or not so, well, world, yes. I mean, you even stopped in America to family, visited family. Yeah, it was, a, it was a round the world ticket. So we stopped to see friends in Colorado, and then we were over in Philadelphia and New York and New Jersey where we had relatives. Uh, that was the first sort of leg of the journey. Um, and that was quite interesting. It was interesting to get into the, d the democracy bait in Philadelphia, looking oh, at uh, yeah. the beginnings of American democracy. Yeah, and now the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, and there was a lot of debate about that particular man. But uh, that, that was good. And from there we flew to uh, Zurich. Mm. And um, uh, from Zurich we were in a number of European cities. Which one did you like the most? I think I think I probably have to. It'd be a toss-up between um, three cities, probably Prague, Vienna, and Torino in Italy, which is an unknown tourist destination, really. But it's a beautiful well, Italian nice. city. Yeah, it's it's very tourist-free, really. But it's that classic Italian uh, city with beautiful marble archways and walkways on all the buildings and. Uh, Massive big piazzas and and uh, coffee and yeah, it's just just tremendous. This is in, in essence uh, uh, ostensibly a transport program. You saw an unusual tram there. Well, that was actually in Venice. Right. Venice, so, yeah. You, you know the standard line of that. Well, we had to get a tram in Venice. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got water wings on it. <laughs> well, this is outside of Venice, mm. but you caught the tram from where we were staying into the into the the, the part of Venice that people most see. And this, I looked at this when I got off the, uh, the off the train and we were catch we go back to catch a tram. I looked and I thought, there's only one tram line. It didn't have two tram lines, you know, as in a, an ordinary bogey style tram line. It had one. And when the tram arrived, lo and behold, it had 
one obviously one steel wheel in the middle on the track which guided the single track and four wheels that were tires so at each corner it had a had an inflated tire to keep the mm. the tram steady and without falling over and uh, it sort of bounced <laughs> and I, I'm, I ruminated about what if they got a flat tire you know <laughs> you'd change it you know and all those things. It was quite an interesting thing. Well, also one rail, did it have like a U-shaped wheel, I wonder, to so if it could go left and right corners? That's because the usual flange is only on one side. side. Yeah, I, I, I didn't quite get down to that level, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, you usually look under a car. Yeah, I do, you... <laughs> I do, but uh, it, it, it did cross my mind that it was quite an interesting engineering feat, but uh, I guess you, you save on cost. You know, with laying track, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why they they designed it. And that was our Melbourne correspondent, Chris. And in coming weeks, we will touch again on a subject that he loves most dearly, the restoration of his 1959 Mark I Jaguar. He makes it an even more drivable car, but not quite to the liking of the purists. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Chris Leadbeater, Polestar Australia, and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or link to the socials and look for Cars, Transport, Culture. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.